was a return to what J.C. Ryle called the old paths. And out of that 16th century movement of God, that revival, that renewal, that brought the scriptures back into their prominent place, uh, there came five fundamental summary truths that we today still talk about and use. And that's the outline for this series. These five fundamental truths are known as the five solas because the Latin word sola means only or alone. And uh, we have a graphic, I believe, there. Gabby, do we not? No graphic? Five pillar graphic? Look, um, look under the, there we go. I thought we had that. Uh, so there it is again, the five solas. Uh, sola Scriptura, the Bible alone, Solus um, uh, Gratia, grace alone, Sola Fide, faith alone, and sola, sola, or Solus Christus, Christ alone, and then Sola Deo Gloria, God's glory alone. Those are the five solas that we're looking at and their implications in this series. Um, those Reformation phrases still reverberate. That's why I call it echoes or, or reverberations of the Reformation. They echo. They still have impact, and they should have impact in keeping us grounded in what the Scriptures teach about salvation and the glory of God. Uh, and today we're going to be looking at the third of those solos, the one in the middle, sola fide, which is faith alone. Our scripture reading that we're going to be setting the stage for this discussion, it comes from Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. Again, I'm not going to be expositing this. It's a topical series, but this, this gets us and just immerses us right into these foundational important truths about faith alone and what the scripture says. This was not just a truth of the Reformation it was the scriptures that teach this. Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Hear then the word of the Lord. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And then over in the book of Galatians, Paul, in the 15th verse of chapter 2, says this, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. May God add the blessing to the reading and the hearing of this his holy word. Let us pray. Father, once again, we ask that, Father, from the, the light that your word gives, may we understand your salvation truth, this great truth of faith alone and what it means. And, Father, may we live by that faith. And we pray for this help and this assistance in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. If you were in Sunday school class this morning, you uh, realize we're in this Reformation season on this 500th anniversary. We're doing a whole quarter's class on the, the Reformation, the lead up to it, the key characters and the various expressions of it on the continent in Europe and in England today we talked about and in Scotland to come and other, and, uh, other things and developments that come out of that. Well, this morning, if you were there, you heard me talk about a particular figure by the name of Thomas Bilney who was, was the uh, father of the English Reformation in many senses. He was the, and I want to just give you a little, a little window into building and his life. He was a student in Cambridge in 1517, and he began reading co- the contraband that was Erasmus's Greek New Testament, had been translated from the original sources, and he had gotten hold of a contraband copy. You weren't supposed to have it. It was not permissible, but he was somewhat of a rebel in a lot of ways. And so he got a copy and began to immerse himself and read it. But he was absolutely convinced about himself that he was a hopeless sinner. He was a reprobate in his own mind. He was an out and out Judas as he saw himself. And he knew that he would never be good enough for God. And so he might as well continue on in his rebellious ways. But one night, while reading his Greek New Testament, he came across 1 Timothy 1.15, in which Paul says this, It is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Now that grabbed Vilney. It got his attention. It began to make him think. And as he found himself pondering and wondering that if it's possible that somehow somebody who killed Christians and had them imprisoned and persecuted the church, if the apostle Paul could somehow find peace with God by putting his faith in Christ, then perhaps he should trust Christ too. As simply as that. Call out at his need and ask for the forgiveness of his sins and have faith in Christ as his only hope of salvation. That night, Thomas Bilney, became the first convert of the English Reformation. 
and one of its greatest heralds and influence so many that would ultimately be the reason why we are here today talking about this 500 years later because of that man putting his faith alone in the gospel and believing it that night. Today, in our series, as I've been doing, we're using three points of outline to consider this. Here they are. Why did it matter? What does it mean? And what difference does it make? That's what we're sort of using for all of these solas. Why did it matter? What was at stake here? Why was this a big deal in that time? Why did the reformers insist upon the doctrine of justification by faith alone? Now, to understand, we need to realize something about the two sides of the gospel. I don't know if you've ever heard or thought about that, but what are sometimes called the two sides of the gospel. The gospel can be viewed in two different senses. Objectively, The gospel is the story that the Bible tells us of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, dying on the cross, a substitutionary death for us. Okay, Um, there we go. Uh, Didn't see that. I forgot I clicked that off. Um, And dying a substitutionary death and rising again for our justification. That's the objective reality of the gospel. And that part, the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus, that there is no discussion, no debate between Roman Catholicism in the Middle Ages and the Reformers. They both all would acknowledge those facts and those objective realities. But there was another side that we could call the subjective side of the gospel. And that is dealing with how if that's true, and if what Christ did to do to accomplish that, but how do we make it ours? How does it, do we appropriate it for ourselves? How does it become not just something, an idea or an ideal that someone else accomplished, but how does it become and change our lives and make us where we don't have to fear judgment before a holy God? You see, that's the subjective side. What must be done? What must you have? What must you use in order to access the objective, what the objective reality has accomplished? That's the question. That's where the debate and the furor was. The battle was over that second part of the gospel, that subjective side. The question of how the benefits of Christ are applied to a believer. Now, on the one hand, you had the medieval Roman Catholic Church that taught that faith indeed was a necessary condition of salvation. They taught it. It was necessary to have faith. You couldn't be saved without it. But one could have faith and still not be justified. They taught You could have faith, but not be justified. For this, you needed the sacerdotal system, or what I call the sacerdotal treadmill. This series of unending things that you've got to do to get yourself and cooperate with grace and get back 
in a more justified standing before God. Let me give you an example. Try to, some ways that they're referred to as planks of justification in the Roman Catholic system. Here's how it would work. Initially, if you are baptized, you must be a recipient of baptism and cooperate in your baptism, which gives you justifying grace. That's good news, right? You got it. You're baptized. But you've got to retain that grace, and you do retain it until you commit a mortal sin. When that happens, unfortunately, you've gone from good to bad. You've gone from being on the inside to looking on the outside. How do you get back there then? Well, the sinner then must be justified, as it were, again. And that happens through the sacrament of penance, which the Council of Trent defined as the second plank of justification for those who made shipwreck of their souls. So the only way you can get back in is you got to start down the treadmill of penance and good works and the merit of the saints. We already talked about that, tapping into that and how you did that in order to get back in right standing, to get back and become a justifiable person. On the other hand, the reformers taught that we're justified by faith alone, not with anything else added to that. They said that faith is the sole instrumental cause for our justification. It doesn't have anything else that you bring alongside and add to it and throw in the mix with it. By this, they meant that we receive all of Jesus' benefits from his work through putting our trust in Jesus, just like Thomas Bilney did, just like the Apostle Paul did. You see, according to the Council of Trent, God does not justify anyone until real righteousness is inherent within them. The Reformers talked about an imputed righteousness. The Roman Catholicism of the Middle Ages required an infused righteousness. It had to become, you had to actually become that. That's more the work of sanctification, but it was confused with what happens in justification. And by contrast, The reformers said justification is based on the imputation of Christ's righteousness by faith alone. A simple trust in God to provide a righteousness that you cannot and did not accomplish, but it becomes yours. It gets credited to your books, as it were, even though it was accomplished by Christ. That's justification And it is received, the reformer said, by faith alone. Luther, you know, you heard probably um, uh, Rick talk about this in the class in the Reformation if you were there. Luther was absolutely, he tried so hard for so many years to be good enough. And he said if anybody could ever be a 
dutiful monk. He tried to be the perfect model of that. He worked hard at it. He said, if anybody could have ever been saved by their monkery, I would have been saved by it. But he said, I only found myself slipping further and further away, knowing more and more I had fallen short of the holy God and I could never please. And Luther came to even resent and hate God because of that, because he knew I cannot get there, no matter what I do and how much. And that's when he discovered, reading Romans one night, that, that passage from Romans 1, 16 through 17, about an alien righteousness. Alien meaning it's not from you. You don't contribute to it. You don't add to it. It's outside of you. And then when you believe God, that is credited to your account. It's imputed is the word that he used. And therefore, you now look like Jesus to the Father. You have Jesus' righteousness. He took your sin and paid for it. And suffered the consequences for it. And so now you though guilty look innocent and justified in the sight of God. It's not something that's happened in your life. That's part of the work of sanctification. Hopefully we're growing to become more like Jesus. But what makes us right with God is what he's accomplished. And that comes by faith alone. These were radically different views of salvation. And they couldn't be reconciled. One of them was the gospel, the other was not. So what does it mean? Again, specifically, a little more detail when they reformers talk about faith alone, when they spoke about that. Again, it's in the context of justification. How, what part does faith play in me receiving a justified status before a holy God and knowing that I don't have to fear when I close my eyes in death? By faith alone, they meant that faith is the only instrument by which we can receive all that Christ has accomplished. Luther referred to it as the empty hand of faith. It doesn't have, it's not bringing anything. It's not got a bunch of reaching into pocket and bringing a bunch of things and then trying to also, it's, no, 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 the hand's completely empty. It has nothing. But it's a hand reaching up in trust, crying out to God for mercy. It is that that becomes the instrument by which God gives us, grants us, imputes the righteousness of Christ to us. That's what Luther was teaching and the other reformers. And faith alone also meant that there can be no works that can be added to our faith. Remember the text we read, Galatians 2, 15 and 16. Now, some people think at this juncture, you're probably wondering, yeah, but Joe, doesn't the Bible say a lot about works? And I think I recall that James, he, he, must, uh, he and Paul must not have got along very well because Paul was always talking about faith and faith alone and that kind of thing. And, and, but James was talking about the importance of good works and, and doing works. So they must not have liked each other. Uh, they didn't, they, they, maybe they were at odds. No, not at all. They were just looking at something from a different perspective. For instance, uh, many people think that Paul is the advocate for faith and James is the supporter of works, but it's not the case if you understand the proper relationship between them. Let me try to give you an equation, a couple of equations or formulas that help us do that. And um, probably should have brought, I thought about bringing up a whiteboard here and writing this on the whiteboard, whiteboard it for you. Uh, I should have probably thrown in a couple of slides, but these are simple enough. Okay. Here's one approach. Faith plus 
works equals justification. Is that the gospel? No. That's a false gospel. That's anti-gospel. Something else. This side of the equation is intruding alongside of faith, works, and then resulting in a cooperative yield of justification. It's not what the Bible teaches. Old or New Testament. And Abraham, of course, is the great example of that. That's what Paul used so often. Yes, Abraham did works, but they were on the right side of the cross. Now, here's another equation. And this one has a different ring. Faith plus nothing equals justification, which then results in good works. Now, there's the gospel. That's what accords with the gospel. We were created in Christ Jesus unto good works, not to present them to gain our favor with God. But because we have been justified, now we want to be more and more like him who for our sakes died and rose again. See, that's, that's the important understanding, and it's critical. The gospel is either gained or lost in the way you make that equation. By the way, remember, we are called to pursue holiness. We are called to do good works. But that struggle and that quest and that calling and that fight is the fight of faith, not self-effort, not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Read Hebrews. By faith, they did this. They conquered you by faith, by faith, by faith. Good works were done. But faith was always the sinner. It is from that justified by faith alone status that we can then follow and pursue holiness and good works. We never leave faith behind in our spiritual journey toward heaven, toward the celestial city. It's always by faith. And it's very easy to begin. Why is it we have trouble realizing that? Why, why do we gravitate towards thinking about somehow our works are going to make God? Because we can see them. We, they're visible. We can see what we're doing. Faith is not always so obvious. It seems like it's not, a, it's not enough. And yet it is that which connects us to the work of Christ, which we'll be looking at more clearly next week. Finally, what difference does it make? Contrary to the claims of some, a lot of people say, you know what, this stuff with Luther and Calvin and all this stuff, they, they just invented that whole cloth, you know, in their time. They wanted to have an angle they wanted to run and it would be, help them, you know, get their, get their way with whatever. And, and, and it's, not, it's not really in the Bible. It's not really in church history. They think that somehow what the reformers were teaching about faith alone was something brand new and dangerous for the church. 
Well, this truth was taught by many of the early church fathers. And more importantly, it's taught in Scripture. As you've seen today, and I could take you to place after place after place. Read the story of Abraham again. He believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Same thing Paul was saying, and that was 2,000 years before Christ. Looking forward to what Christ would accomplish. He had faith, and faith alone. Now, it resulted, yes, in his good works, as we've seen. But it wasn't based on that. It wasn't achieved by that. Uh, this truth was taught in, in many of the early church fathers. I could give you several quotes. Uh, sometimes I put it on the screen a, um, uh, a particular uh, 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 document that, that's just an incredible document of, uh, in understanding imputation of righteousness to sinners. Unbelievable. It's written by a first, second century church father. Um, and there's another church father, Christian. Christism, it's a hard word to say. John Christism uh, means golden tongue. Obviously, I'm not very golden tongue when I'm trying to say his name, am I? Um, but in his homily on Romans, his homily number seven on Romans, this is what Christendom wrote. Christ does also make them that are filled with putrefying sores of sin suddenly righteous. It is to explain, and it is to explain this, that he might be just and the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. Doubt not then, for it is not of works, but of faith. Sounds like Luther, doesn't it? Sounds like Paul. Sounds like Calvin. Sounds like... Because it is. It's always been there. It wasn't, it wasn't injected into. It was just rediscovered and brought back to its proper place in the Reformation. Oh, yes. The Reformers did take pieces of that puzzle, the church fathers, and they brought it together more systematically, more clearly. Oh, yes, they had a role in that. But the pieces were there all along. Don't ever forget that. Finally. By implication, the truth that was unearthed in the Reformation about faith alone, it certainly had a lot to do, everything to do with our justification as we've been talking about and as you've seen, hopefully. But you know what? It had an heretofore undiscovered benefit the justification was there. It's in Scripture and goes back in the church. But what the Reformers also realized is this has a lot to say, a lot of information to give us about our assurance of salvation. Because if our, if our justification being made right with God is based on what Christ did and it's received by not anything we've done to merit or make ourselves worthy of that reception, but by faith alone. It's a sheer look. As the, the children of Israel looked to that brazen serpent, which was, which was a type of Christ, and looked at it, and Moses said, if he, God said, if they will look at the serpent, they will live. That's the look of faith. 
And if that's how you get the righteousness of God, imputed to you, given to you, that's not something that you are going to, because you mess up tomorrow, you're going to work yourself out of and put yourself in hock and in deficit condition with regard to God. It never was yours accomplished. You had nothing to do to accomplish it. You didn't achieve it, and it's only been given to you by faith. Justification by faith alone assures believers that we are truly saved without any qualifiers, without any quid pro quos, without any additions, without anything else added to it. The implications of justification by faith alone mean that we are secure in him, in Christ, because of a simple trust. That's what Luther said again when he, when he was crying out to the, and the devil was, was tormenting him or at least it felt that way to him and he was feeling his sense of his own unworthiness and his guilt and he basically said, yeah, yeah, you got me. I'm that bad, I'm worse. But let me tell you something, enemy of my soul. I have the righteousness of Christ. I have already died. I have already died in Christ and I am now been raised with him in heavenly places and I am untouchable. My righteousness is not my own. It is not conditioned by me. It is not determined by me. It has been accomplished by Christ and it is mine. And therefore, to God, I stand before you justified and as perfect as Christ himself is perfect. Get out of my face. Leave. Leave me alone. Something to that effect is what Luther said. You see, he, he was confident of his standing before God even though his record was smudged and spoiled and pockmarked just like mine and probably just like yours. But you don't hope in that record. You have faith in the record of another. And so, as Gerbert used to say, so by the way, it's a little puppet character that my kids watched growing up. We are safe in his arms because of faith alone in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, that it's not about us. It's about what you've done and what you've accomplished. And Lord, we are, we are awestruck that you would give such a gift of righteousness. Lord, to sinners like us, undeserving. But Father, that's also such good news for the worst of us. The ones of us who are struggling the most because we're never going to get there climbing up our way or adding anything else to it anyway. The bridge is out. And thank you that the only way is to cry out like Bilney did and like Luther did and ask you for, to give us that alien righteousness, that outside of ourselves righteousness that Christ alone accomplished. And it's ours with the sheer naked hand of faith reaching up to receive that which is wholly yours and that changes everything forever. And we thank you for the gospel. And we pray you would help us live by it and live by faith. And we ask in Jesus' name these things. Amen.